What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to another episode of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we focus on a different skill that you can learn to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, diversify your career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, choosing the right knowledge-based software for your organization. No matter your industry, whether it's tech, nonprofit, marketing, your organization likely needs a knowledge-based software, a dedicated place to capture essential knowledge, whether it's content within the organization to onboard new employees, or perhaps documentation to teach users how to use a product. However, choosing the right knowledge base can be challenging, and it takes much more work than a quick Google search. You need to understand the core knowledge problems within your organization. Compare softwares that on the surface may look a lot alike and get buy-in from key players who'd actually use the knowledge base. That's why in this episode, we have Kate Mueller on the podcast, support sorceress and, I kid you not, cheesemonger at Knowledge Owl, a knowledge-based software that, as they share on their site, makes one thing, awesome knowledge-based software. Kate has worked with several different knowledge bases throughout her career, and at Knowledge Owl, works with current and prospective customers across the world to help them discover how knowledge-based softwares can help them address their needs. In this episode, Kate reflects on her career, both as a user of and support member for knowledge bases, to share the criteria you should consider as you choose the right knowledge base for your organization, including how to get started in your research, how to get company buy-in, and which essential features you should look for in a knowledge base. And in the end, Kate shares a few of her favorite knowledge-based softwares, Knowledge Owl and Beyond, to jumpstart your research. And big shout out to Knowledge Owl, the wonderful knowledge-based software for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Writer, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. Hey there, Kate. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing good. Thank you. How is life in Midcoast, Maine? Oh, you know, it's January in Midcoast, Maine. So we've had a lot of snow and I think the high today is 16 without the wind. So oh, golly, Kate. it's a rather chilly day today, but it's gorgeous. So I can't good. complain. I'm happy to hear it. Here in Denson, it snowed for the very first time in six years. Oh my goodness! This past Saturday, How it was did you like hope? we loved it. I mean, <laughs> we—the moment I saw the snow, I woke up my partner. We opened up the blinds, got real excited, and then um, perhaps a bit too enthusiastically, <laughs> um, we chose to take my Honda Ruckus. It's a small scooter. Try to hop on it to head downtown for some brunch. And Kate, I kid you not, we wiped out. I bet you did. A few minutes. I'm like cringing, waiting for this punchline. Oh my god! I watched YouTube videos beforehand, and they were like, "Hey, just like drive slow, drive in the car tracks, and keep your feet down." I followed like one of the three rules, <laughs> um, and it resulted in a wipeout. But we still had a great brunch. My my bruises are healing a little bit on my inner thigh, um, but besides that, it was really nice to partake in some 
mid-coast Maine-like weather (laughs) for like 12 hours. (laughs) Yeah, a brief hiccup of that, whereas that's for us like an everyday occurrence. But I'm sure there are people who try to ride scooters in it, but um, up here you're more likely to see somebody on like a a fat tire bike or something out off-roading it. I'll make I'll make a mental note of that six <laughs> six years from now yes. should the occurrence occur again. <laughs> yes, learn from your previous experiences. That's right, Kate. So excited to have you on the podcast today. We have a great skill to discuss together, and that is choosing the right knowledge based software for your organization. And I really cannot think of a better person to have on the podcast than yourself, Kate. You're an employee over at Knowledge Owl, <laughs> um, one of my favorite knowledge-based software, um, one I've played with myself, um, I've used at times for my own organization. And I know you won't be biased. <laughs> of course, we have a lot I, I of will, love for Knowledge Owl. Yes, I will do my best to be yes. as impartial as an employee of a particular organization can be. So. <laughs> That's right. But I've, I've looked through y'all's blog, and I'm just always just so impressed with um, not only the writing, but the content and how you really help tech writers, whether they're you know new to the tech writing game, whether they've been in it for a bit. Y'all do a fantastic job of you know guiding the tech writer to figure out you know what's the right criterion for a knowledge-based software. Um, what should I be looking for? What kinds of questions should I be asking um, of the products you know customer support team to figure out if this is the right product for me? So really excited to tap into your wisdom and hopefully give some good action items for listeners as well. To get us started. Yeah, it's going to be fun. To get us started, Kate, before we dive into all the good stuff, I want to take some time to learn more about you. We know you're kicking it in mid-coast Maine, Mm -hmm. not riding scooters around, which is great. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Knowledge Owl? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been at Knowledge Owl for just under a year and a half. I was actually a Knowledge Owl customer before I ever really? worked here. Um, cool. I was the head of product previously at a small software company and um, had been kind of in the market for new knowledge-based software and found Knowledge Owl that way when, when awesome. Knowledge Owl was still Help Gizmo way back mm, in the day. Throwback. Um, yeah. And uh, was really kind of blown away both by the product and the support. So I became a customer and at some point, I think just sort of jokingly told Mary Beth that I would love to work with them. And uh, and then I quit my job to through hike the Appalachian Trail. And wow. when I got back, I had this message from Mary Beth like three weeks later that was like, hey, I saw you finish the trail. I don't know what you're up to now, but we're looking to hire and we thought you'd be a really good fit. So, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like the most amazing bit of trail magic ever. Um, yeah. And so I started here um, pretty heavily on the support side of things and um, probably the last, I don't know, three or four months have kind of shifted a little bit more heavily into a little bit of product management, um, a lot of documentation writing, and I've sort of taken over our release notes process and started writing a few blog posts as well. So I I think further proof that once you've been a tech writer, you never totally get away from writing. Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, I know the feeling. But it's it's been really enjoyable for me because I, you know, wear a lot of different hats and that's fun. I enjoy that. Yeah, you guys really have a fantastic crew at Knowledge Owl. I know I said before that I've also worked with the product myself with my time at Strongtowns. And I mean, the product's fantastic. The customer support is incredible. Like Mary Beth and yourself, y'all respond so promptly. 
um, you give gentle nudges whenever it's something I could probably figure out myself, help empower me to learn the software. But also if I get in a real tough bind, um, y'all are patient and guide us step by step to figure out. So kudos to you all, big fans of y'all work. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about it through the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I think, I think the support is really part of what does differentiate us, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, it's my favorite thing about working here. Yeah. Um, Mary Beth has a genuine enthusiasm for just trying to help people solve problems. And I think uh, some other organizations treat support as this sort of like odious task that you try to pawn off on other people and sure. at knowledge all it's sort of the centerpiece of everything we do so um, yes not that the product it, itself isn't fantastic it is but i think what yeah. really sets us apart is the people behind it absolutely and i'm sure as we'll talk more through this podcast we'll learn that you know customer support is probably a, a really important feature or not feature but you know criterion that we want to look at when it comes to choosing the right knowledge-based software it certainly can be yeah so, Kate, you are the support sorceress, and I'm I'm quoting this verbatim, listeners, uh, cheesemonger. I am at Knowledge Owl. That is your job title. That so we know a little bit about title. your support work. <laughs> cheesemonger? Can you yes. elaborate on this for us? I am I am absolutely a huge fan of cheese. Um, I make my own cheese. I eat Fantastic. cheese extensively, um, and uh, we get to pick our own job titles. So you know, Mary Beth is knowledge goddess and chief executive owl. And uh, when I first started in particular, I was like, well, I'm going to be doing support, but I, I mean, what else do I really do? I talk a lot about cheese. And she was like, well, you could include cheese in your job title. <laughs> I am the official cheesemonger for Knowledge All. And I will say it means I have a lot of side conversations at the end of support tickets that are about various cheese. I love it. Adding and, that personal touch. Yeah, it's great. I don't usually initiate them, but other people see the title and ask questions. And so I've learned about like great little cheese shops all over the country. And, you know, you kind of learn if somebody's more of like a, a hard cheese or like a soft cream, you know, yeah. maybe like a brie or a camembert. And, yes. you know, it's just that nice little extra connection. I'm sure someday maybe I'll grow up a little bit more and have a second job listing that's <laughs> not food oriented, but it might be a sad day when that day comes. This might be future curriculum for audience analysis courses. That's right. It's like, yeah, let's figure out all the demographics plus their preferred cheese. Exactly. Hard or soft, <laughs> not enough. Need to dig much deeper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Kate, um, for folk who are maybe new to tech writing, maybe they come from you know a different background in tech writing, proposal writing, grant writing, stuff like that, and aren't familiar with what a knowledge base is, how would you define a knowledge base for those new listeners? Oh, man. $64 million question. <laughs> um, I tend to think of a knowledge base as any way that you are capturing information or you know knowledge about um, how to do things, whether that's mm -hmm. internal processes, whether that's how people should be using your product or interacting with the services you offer. Um, sometimes it's sharing information about like your, you know, marketing research or something along those lines. Um, it's really, I think a lot of us have suffered in the business world from sort of silos of information where there's like mm -hmm. one person who's a gatekeeper to how to do a whole bunch of things. And knowledge bases are basically the response to that to say, all right, we're going to have a collection of information that's kind of accessible by everybody who needs to have it. And, you know, maybe authored by a really small group of people, maybe authored by a lot of different people, but as a way to kind of break down those silos and, you know, encourage knowledge sharing, um, 
on the customer side of it, it's, you know, sharing product documentation, sharing process documentation, sharing things that make your customers' lives easier as they're trying to engage with you or use your product or service. Um, so, you know, process documentation, product documentation, yeah. all the documentation. Um, very often, just about anything you write as a tech writer could be filling up a knowledge base somewhere. And, um in many ways, it helps make it a little bit more accessible to folks because you then end up having this area or repository or whatever that becomes a single source of truth for that yeah. knowledge. So instead of it being a person, it's a system, it's a piece of software that people start to get in the habit of checking before they, you know, ping eight people in Slack or send yeah. an email to 20 different people and then have to wait three days before they can yeah. an answer to a simple question. Yeah. I love that definition, Kate. And as you've defined it, it sounds like that knowledge bases go far beyond than just being you know, reserved for technology companies. I know that's a lot of times what we immediately associate a knowledge base with, you know, maybe developer documentation or end user documentation. But it sounds like really any organization that wants to capture and document knowledge and then have everyone else benefit from it. Absolutely. Could make good use with the knowledge base. Has yeah. that been your experience with Knowledge Hub? Oh, very much so. I mean, we definitely do have, you know, technical companies, a lot of software-based companies, but we also have, you know, government agencies, um, hmm. private firms in like the insurance or the mortgage spaces, medical supplies, um, even some of the retail providers use us. So it, it's it's kind of all encompassing. We work with folks across pretty much every industry in a bunch of different countries, and those nice. needs are really varied. But the bottom line is that they're trying to you know capture a bunch of information and share it in some way. Yeah, that's great, Kate. I said before that um, my organization, Strong Towns, um, has used Knowledge Owl in the past as well. And mm -hmm. what the knowledge base did a really great job for us was you know, we get a lot of questions about, you know, municipal finance. It, so for background folks, Strong Towns is a nonprofit media organization that advocates for building more financially resilient places. So a lot of talk of municipal finance, zoning, um, you know, building standards, stuff like that. And of course, it can be a very complex subject. Um, but we'd find at Strong Towns, we'd get a lot of the same questions mm -hmm. via email um, and it's my job as community builder to respond to all those emails. So it's like, well, golly, like I've essentially written the same response to, you know, a couple dozen folk, like, should we perhaps have this documented somewhere? So, mm -hmm. you know, we document it once and then everyone else can benefit from that documentation and without having to holler at me, which they might prefer as well, you know, some <laughs> <laughs> immediately getting the insights they need as opposed to um, conversing with Jacob Moses. Um, not but that just you're another not example. Delightful, Jacob, I am. But... I'm so delightful. <laughs> that's that's my top adjective of self: delightfulness and a fan of soft cheese. Um, but just another great example of, you know, we're not a tech company, but still, you know, we need to have a place where we can document knowledge that, um, in this case, our, our readers um, want to have access to and easily search. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and it's. I mean, that's actually one of the ways I think people start to recognize and in many cases improvise a knowledge base in a shared network drive or Google yeah. Drive or something along those lines where they just get tired of answering the same question over and sure. over and over again. I think sure. um, particularly if you've been doing support on anything or you know managing 
community engagement, you have had the case of, oh, there's these like five emails that I basically just have to keep resending. And, you know, maybe the first step in that process is you start saving a permanent draft of that email. And then eventually you're like, well, I don't have to be the only one who sends these emails. And so you, you know, create some document or something somewhere that's really at its very simplest level, the beginning of a knowledge base. Um, And now, of course, we have, you know, products like Knowledge All and a variety of other knowledge-based softwares that are really specifically built around those requirements. But mm-hmm. really, you can have a knowledge base without having a special piece of software to do it if you're really just thinking of it as a repository of information. Yes. And listeners, if you're curious about learning more about that process, you know, say you're just starting off with your knowledge base and are perhaps uncertain about what to document, like Kate said, a great place to start. Is to document, you know, those frequently asked questions that you get from um, your users that are coming through customer support. If you want to learn more about this, we have a fantastic episode with Bree Hilmer. Um, I wish I could tell you the exact episode number. I don't recall, but I will include it in the show notes. Um, it's about um, creating just-in-time documentation. Mm-hmm. So this philosophy of, you know, not wasting time documenting things that we don't need, um, but instead, let's work with support see what frequently asked questions are coming through them and then, you know, building that relationship to make sure it's documented in the knowledge base. So a great one to look for if you guys are interested. So Kate, someone has just learned about what a knowledge base is, you know, perhaps their employer has now tasked them, Hey, like we want to get involved in the knowledge base game. You know, our content is spread all over. We don't really have a one place to send folk to don't have a good place, you know, capture you know these frequently asked questions i task you to go find the right knowledge base for our company okay if someone's tasked with this what would you recommend other than that that exact scenario (laughs) (laughs) um i how do they begin their research what would you recommend so what i actually um recommend is that you approach it much as you would other pieces of software in that First, it's really important to define what problem or problems you're trying to solve with this question. So before you ever look at a tool, um, think about, you know, is it, for example, are you trying to increase internal knowledge sharing so that, you know, different departments have a better, you know, they're not, they're not tied to one particular gatekeeper of information, or Mm. are you trying to make it easier to onboard new employees? Or are you trying to provide, you know, support documentation in some way to your customers? And if so, why are you trying to solve that problem? Is it because, you know, there's this one person in a department and, you know, another building who's like the keeper of all the information and everybody's really frustrated working with that person? Or have you had a few new hires where the onboarding process went really awkwardly? Or have you found that you've been answering a lot of the same questions repeatedly in support? There's while there are definitely management teams who will say, we've just decided we want to use knowledge-based software and let's make that happen. Usually there's like an underlying kernel of pain that is what's actually causing that need. And it helps up front to kind of clearly define that problem 
Um, in part because when people start looking at software, they get this uh, sort of one ring to rule them all mentality. And suddenly they start trying to find a piece of software that solves literally every problem they've ever had. Yes. And there is yeah. no software in the world that would do that. And so sure. having a really clear scope up front that is, you know, we're doing this because we want to solve these particular problems. And therefore, I need a tool that helps solve those problems elegantly. Hmm can be really useful so that you don't get, you know, big eyed and really hopeful that suddenly this knowledge base is also going to solve all of your community forum problems and will be sure. sort of magic balm to fix your development process and a variety of other things that there's just no way it could possibly solve. Um, and I know that that's not very tool focused, but in my experience implementing knowledge bases, it is much easier if you have a yeah. feel for what body of knowledge you're trying to capture and why you're trying to capture it. Um, and very often those needs evolve over time, but it's it, you're more likely to find a tool that actually does what you need it to do if you know what you need it to do. That totally makes sense, Kate. Having that use case in mind about how you'd actually plan to use the knowledge-based software. Yeah. Because I'm with you. I mean, I remember in the early days looking for the right knowledge-based software for strong towns. It was really intimidating. I mean, I had worked one tech writing gig before strong towns and we already had a knowledge-based knowledge software. So I just, you know, got hired and started using that. But it was really intimidating to like pick one for my entire organization. It is. And I did not do what you did. I didn't think about <laughs> our existing problems and what knowledge base works best with just these two or three like core issues um, within our organization. I think if I recall correctly, I just make a list of just like features I liked about past ones. Yes. Which is <laughs> and just like which is try useful. to find a list. Still useful. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But not so much thinking about the problem. Yeah. So once a user, not user, a tech writer, you know, defines the problems yeah. that they want their knowledge based software to solve. Have you found that how, you know, the marketing team for these knowledge-based softwares market their products? Do you see the relationship between the two? Or does it take some more digging to really find out if this particular product is right based on the problems that I have? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Hmm. I do think that generally speaking, um, marketing departments at knowledge-based companies try to hit on sort of the big problems that folks might be looking to solve. Um, but every piece of software implements a solution in a different way. And so mm. even if something technically checks all the boxes that you're looking to check, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to feel good for you to use it. Um, yeah. And so usually as kind of part of that process, one of the things I encourage folks to do is to think about like, who do you have who's actually going to be using the software from an editing and content creation perspective? What are their okay. technical skills like? And what and does the company or product you're looking at give you an option to do some type of free trial so that you can actually get your hands on that tool and get a nice. feel for how intuitive it is and how hard or easy the features that you most need are to be able to use? Mm. Um, because you know, if you just go based on feature lists most of us do a great job of making it look like we give you everything that you could possibly sure. want. But, you sure. know, 
I could implement something. It's the same as writing a document. I might write a document in a particular way. You might write it a different way. Certain people will find your set of instructions easier to follow and certain people will find my set of instructions easier to follow. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that yours is better than mine. It just means that for whatever your personality is or what you're trying to achieve, one of those resonated better than the other one. And I there is this pressure when you're trying to pick a tool for a bunch of other people to use that you want to pick the yeah, right tool, but it yeah. needs to be a tool that you at least love to use. Because <laughs> yeah. if you don't like it and you're trying to sell it to the rest of the organization, um, you're going to fail, I think. <laughs> sure. But if you enjoy it, it's a good time to, like, you know, if you are having other people who are going to be using it, pull them in at that and say, okay, I've winnowed this down to like these top three choices here kind of are the pros and cons of each of them. I want you guys to try each of them out and then let me know, you know, which one you liked best and why, or ask me questions about it. Because, you know, some of the ways that it might not be the best fit might be things that the support team on that piece of software could help with. And some of them might be total deal breakers because it's just how the tool is designed. Yeah. That's a great point, Kate. And a nice reminder, you know, if the tech writer feels intimidated, feeling that, you know, they need to take on this whole process by themselves, they would do themselves a great service and likely find a, you know, better suited product in the end to get everyone else involved. Yeah. Say you're the main content creator, you're actually working in the fields, putting the actual content but as like the example we gave before, you know, if we want to work with customer support, figure out what questions they're getting, how can we address those questions in the knowledge base? Um, I'd imagine we want to make sure that it's, you know, an equally enjoyable experience for the customer support team as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point, Kate. And it's also worth, so if we're talking about the feature side of it, things that I see that kind of come up consistently when I talk to people who are kind of considering using our product are questions like, um, do you integrate with some type of single sign-on process? Because Mm -hmm. we have single sign-on in our organization and it would be a lot easier if we could leverage that instead of having to create manual accounts in your software for everybody. Um, Thinking about other ways that you maybe need to integrate that knowledge base into other systems or workflows. So if you're talking about including it for your support team um, and they're using a particular help ticketing software, is there some way that that knowledge base can be integrated with that help ticketing software? Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, you know, it's maybe seems like a no brainer once you've been through that process, but in the beginning, it's so easy to think of it as I just have to make sure that this, this tool itself is, is does what it needs to do. But if it's challenging for you as the primary author to use, or you feel intimidated by it, don't pick it. If it yeah. seems fantastic, but it's not going to integrate with the things that ultimately you need it to integrate with, don't pick it. Like, it's just going to make your life a little bit harder somewhere down the line. And then you'll be stuck redoing the evaluation yeah. process to find a different tool in a year. Yes, absolutely. And that's not a position we want to no, find ourselves no. in. Stressful enough the first time. It's really no fun the second time. Yes. <laughs> So, Kate, I imagine, you know, the first time that someone starts to do this research to find, you know, the right knowledge-based software, yeah, you know, maybe they have these two or three core problems in mind that they want the software to address. Maybe a list of features if they want to peep the product's feature page. But I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, really, these knowledge bases often, like, evolve and adapt and new problems will arise and new needs will arise, Have you found that 
people that are picking that first knowledge base software, is it important that they consider like the adaptability of a particular product and how it, how it can evolve with their organization? Or is it okay just to you know say, hey, I have these couple problems. If it addresses these, I'm all good. What have you experienced? Um, I wish I could answer this question both yes and no. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> when you are a technical writer considering software and you've been given a very clear mandate that you need to solve a series of problems, mm -hmm. uh, obviously you need to make sure that what you're picking solves those problems. In my experience, successful knowledge base implementations often do evolve and broaden in scope. So what starts out as an internal only knowledge base may eventually become also an external facing knowledge base for customer support mm -hmm. or something along those lines. And in part, it's because if you pick a tool that solves that first problem really well, and you get rid of that pain point, then people naturally move to the next pain point that they think mm, that that tool might yeah. naturally solve. So on a certain level, sure, it's helpful to make sure that you're picking something that's flexible. But I think going too far down that road, you'd be totally overwhelmed at, sure. you know, well, it, maybe we would use it for this and maybe we would use it for that. And well, this product doesn't do that, but you've now eliminated it just because it doesn't do something that hypothetically you might want it to do in like five mm, years. Yes. Um, so I think what I try to encourage folks to do is to think about is it flexible in the ways that you think it's going to need to be flexible? So, gotcha. you know, right now, maybe everybody has access to everything, but if this really takes off in the organization, might you need to sort of segregate certain chunks of information, you know, by department or internally versus externally or what yeah. have you, does the tool have the ability to do that? You don't need to test it. You don't need to say, well, here are you know, all the pluses and minuses of how it does that thing. But maybe just to kind of know, you know, yes, we would have the ability to you know, restrict information to particular people or restrict editing in, in you know, a particular category of content to a particular group of people or um, you know, it's really important for us, but it might be important for us someday to integrate this with our software application. Does the tool have a way to do that right now? Does it gotcha. have an API or does it have some type of built-in, you know, contextual help widget or something? You don't necessarily have to test it out, but just kind of getting a feel for that. And this is where, if you've been tasked with this, having that conversation with the manager who tasked you with it to say, hey, I know right now I'm trying to solve X, but do you have a feeling for, you know, where this might end up that I should maybe be making sure that it, this product does a particular thing? So like yes. SSO integration is one of those that often doesn't occur the first time you start looking at products and then you get three months into the implementation and suddenly the IT team on your side comes in and they're like, does it have SSO integration? Like, <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> So, so maybe nice to have those conversations early on. So whenever we start that trial, maybe get some time with the product customer support team. Yeah. Knock, knock all of that out early on. I mean, um, you know, there's always going to be some requirement you didn't surface. That's, that's sure. the way that human life is. Sure. <laughs> Everything sure. is more complicated. It's the tip of the iceberg and you know uh -huh. there's more under there, but you're not quite sure what it is. And I mean you do the best you can with the information you have. And if in three years, suddenly they want to do something totally different, I don't think anybody's going to knock you for having picked a tool that worked great for the three years before that. 
right? That's right. And in the meantime, you've probably created some fantastic documentation that you can just migrate over to a new knowledge-based yeah. software. And perhaps created a culture where that documentation That's right. matters. That's right. Which is, in many cases, the harder problem. Content yeah. creation and usage is much harder than the tool itself. I've seen people, yes. I cobbled together knowledge bases that were just basically gigantic Google Docs. And that, mm, you know, wow. not the most robust tool, but it was free and it was available sure. and it solved the immediate problem I had. And it let me make the case to management to say, hey, we need something more than this. People yeah. really like this. It's helping to solve these problems. So could we actually put some money toward this problem and solve it in a more elegant way? Because what you're asking me to do, I can't do in this tool any longer. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes it's not necessarily about picking the fanciest tool up front. It's picking a tool that works well enough so that you can kind of get the momentum and the internal buy-in to get the tool of your dreams, right? Yeah, yeah. I like that, Kate. In the early research stages, is there any way for a tech writer to find out if a knowledge-based software can help them, you know, measure the effectiveness of their documentation? You know, I follow a lot of tech writing conversations and a, a big point of discussion is, you know, how do we actually measure the success of the work that we're doing? Um, is this a feature that you see in knowledge-based software these days or is it mostly just an internal conversation within the organization to pick you know, whichever measurements they'd like um, and then see if it aligns with the knowledge-based software. I mean, I think there is a push to try to quantify usage or usefulness. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's something that any of us can necessarily nail as a feature because different organizations do define it differently. Um, mm -hmm. And just because somebody is, you know, so I think the common metrics for things like this are largely analytics based and feedback loop based. So yeah, are people yeah. viewing the content? How long are they viewing the content? If you've got videos, are they actually watching the video all the way through? Or if they tap out, where are they tapping out? Um, mm -hmm. If you've got documentation, is somebody pulling it up for like 30 seconds? Or are they looking at it for a long period of time? How actively are people searching for things? And are they finding what they're looking for? So those are all very, you know, sort of, I'm going to track behavior and then try to do some analysis of that behavior. The flip yeah. side of that is, you know, providing people a feedback mechanism to, you know, rate or comment or whatever on your content. And as we all know, you know, that's a somewhat flawed system because it depends on people taking an action to let you know. Sure. And very often we're more likely to take the action when we're not happy with something than when uh -huh. we're happy with something. Uh -huh. So it can skew a lot of that feedback to seem very negative, even when it's not. Um, so, I mean, I wish I had like the perfect solution to this problem. I would say those are the two ways I think a lot of software companies try to solve it with their knowledge bases is to say, you know, we're going to both track what people do and how they reach out to us and what happens. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, this is partially goes back to that question of what is the problem I'm trying to solve? So yeah. if what I'm trying to solve is um, we're trying to reduce overall support tickets by X percent, because we think that we have a bunch of tickets that are coming in that people could self-serve on. And we mm -hmm. roll out this documentation. If we've actually tracked, you know, all of our ticket submissions and ticket closures and things like that, both before and after that implementation, that can give you a much better sense of, hey, did we actually solve the problem we were trying to solve? You know, and 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 if it's a question of, you know, kind of internal 
bureaucracy where you're trying to bypass some of those silos, it can be useful in the beginning to say, on average, how long does it take somebody from Department A to get an answer from Department B on Mm. a particular question or a particular process? And that's where having those problem statements really comes in handy because you can say, all right, um, I, this is the problem we're trying to solve. Maybe here are some metrics that we could track both now before we implement this tool and then you know, three months, six months, a year afterward that we could revisit to get a better snapshot of the impact that this documentation has had. Oh, that's such a great point, Kate. You know, we've, we've listed the problems they want to address, but if we don't have a way of measuring it for the software is actually addressing those problems, it doesn't really do us much good. Yeah. So I, I like that point. Let's have the problems that we want the software to address, but then also I imagine just a, you know, a very continual conversation about how are we going to measure this, maybe check on it now and then. That's a great point, Kate. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And I've liked the feedback loop. I'm with you. Sometimes it can get a little, a little out, out of hand. Um, but from the times that we've used it with my, my former employer, it has been fantastic, you know, people catching Little things, you know, like misspellings. Yes. But also saying, hey, like I came to this particular article to look for X because that's what I thought the title insinuated, but it didn't. So we found ways to, you know, just better create documentation to address like the actual actions that people are looking to take. So another great feature, um, as Kate mentioned, that I would encourage everyone to look for. And for us, Kate? it's, it's yeah. I mean, for example... Um, obviously, we have a knowledge base that is documentation for knowledge all of the product. And yeah. um, we have at various times sort of initiated some changes in the documentation itself in the hopes that they impacted the support um, workload that we had. And so, yeah. you know, there was a sort of conscious decision maybe about nine months ago. Um, we have the option to, you know, do a bunch of little custom things um, in various sites. And we do frequently help customers customize things. And there are some that we do repeatedly. Um, And it used to be that we would just hop in and do those for customers. And maybe the ones who were really interested, we would then explain to them how the customization worked and where and all that stuff. Um, But we made a decision about nine months ago that we needed to kind of scale support better. And so we started documenting some of those most frequently used customizations. I mean, you know, it's not like that's my only job. I'm still doing support and a variety of other things. So we don't have like a mountain of those, but we have a small number of them and sort of in, in, and a similar concept to like Bree's concept of just-in-time documentation, you know, mm-hmm. once we get so many requests for the same thing, I tend to flag that as, hey, we need a document on this. And then if we do get another request on it because somebody just didn't see it in the documentation or didn't even know to check the documentation, we can just send them the link to the document instead and start to train them, hey, these kinds yeah. of things are available in the knowledge base. Here's where they are. Go play and have fun. And then just let us know when you run into trouble or you want something that's a little different from that customization. And yes. it has noticeably changed, you know, sort of the tone and volume of the support tickets we get. Not that that's a really sharp metric that we've measured, but just yeah. qualitatively, we can kind of tell that it has dropped off a certain amount of the support tickets. Um, so, you know, it's not as tidy of a metric as I would suggest to customers that they use, but it's still been useful for us to say, hey, this documentation is helping to move the ball on this goal, even though I don't have hard numbers behind that. Anecdotally, 
we yeah. seeing less tickets on this. Yes, it's that intangible value. And what a great way just to empower the user. You know, say they don't feel, you know, maybe not quite technical, but they want to make their knowledge base perform a particular function or have a particular design. Yeah. To be able to go to the knowledge base and say, oh, like this is like the kind of thing I didn't think I'd be able to do, but Knowledge Owl, whomever the knowledge base software is, documented this for me. I'm able to see the finished product on my site. Um, probably just another one of those features to look for um, as someone who's looking for a new knowledge base software. Like how can I, how can I capture that intangible value? How can I empower my future users to feel like they're, you know, ramping up their knowledge or learning something new. Um, list of things that folk can be looking for. And and I will say, I do think it's a useful metric if yeah. you're evaluating knowledge-based software to go look at their support documentation. So mm, you talked a little okay. bit about like how important support is. Um, you might not necessarily need a really responsive support team. Like you might not be looking to customize a lot of things. You might just want to occasionally report a bug or whatever, but yeah. um, getting a feel for how well laid out their documentation is and how much you can kind of teach yourself about the product, either through the documentation or the product itself. How discoverable does it seem those features are? How well documented are they? If you did have to ask questions about them during a sort of trial or demo period, how quickly were those questions answered and how thoroughly? Um, yes. So a lot of people can kind of, you know, paste in a link to a document or give you a one sentence response. But, you know, if you sent them three paragraphs being like, we have this complicated workflow and I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing. And they send you a hyperlink back that doesn't really at <laughs> all address the question that you're looking for. Maybe they're not the best tool for you. If they're not talking cheese, I don't want to hear That's it. right. I don't want to hear Their priorities it. are skewed. <laughs> Kate, this has been fantastic. You've done a fantastic job of, you know, walking us through what to look for in a potential knowledge-based software. Thank you. Great points about, you know, let's first think about the problems that we're having with knowledge management within our organizations and how can we measure the effectiveness of a particular knowledge-based software to address these problems. I've learned a lot. I imagine listeners as well. I know I'm going to revisit Knowledge Owl here in a little bit. Aw, thank you. Check it out. Um, for listeners who maybe want to have uh, a list of you know some knowledge-based softwares to check out, I know you did a great job articulating in the beginning that really every organization is different. We all have very unique uh, challenges, unique issues, unique obstacles that we need a knowledge-based software to address. So I'm not looking for like, the top three perfect knowledge-based <laughs> softwares, but just to you know get people, you know, to start doing that research. Maybe looking for particular terms. Um, are there any that come to mind? Um, and you're allowed to say knowledge all, of course. Well, I feel <laughs> um, like just to get folk starting to look. Knowledge all is probably a given since I work here. Mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. But I will, aside from the fact that I work here, one of the things that I think is useful about us is that we're kind of not super expensive. We actually have a yeah. fairly reasonably priced pricing plan. And um, 
We also do 14-day free trials, which we will extend. So it can be a great way to just get your hands on any piece of knowledge-based software to try it out yeah. and figure out, like, is this actually what my boss is asking me to get? Like, because, you know, sometimes people ask for things and it's not actually what they mean. Um, sure. So it can be nice just to get that hands-on opportunity. Um, but in terms of other products, um, there are some that I've, I have found somewhat interesting Um I obviously don't spend a lot of time doing aggressive competitive research because I'm not in marketing. Um, but there are some that I think use kind of interesting models and might um, apply for particular segments of your audience. So um, if you have folks who are trying to do API documentation, um, I would really recommend looking at README. Um, hmm. They do a really nice integration directly with Swagger. So if you're using Swagger for API docs, you can kind of automatically push stuff in there. And they have some interesting functionality around um, dynamic code snippets so that like the users who are, you know, interacting with that API documentation will um, kind of see their own API key appear in a lot. Nice. code snippets. You can also set it up. It has a bit of AI built in, so it'll kind of check, correlate what API calls that developer has been using and kind of suggest some documentation or solutions that seem particularly relevant to them, um, which, you know, I think is kind of awesome. API documentation yeah. can be some of the hardest to get people to be excited about. So I find that product really interesting. Um, uh, let's see. Um, Bloomfire is also interesting to me in that um, they're very focused on a kind of collaborative, almost social media structure, which I think is fairly different from a lot of standard knowledge bases. Um, and they have, um, they really kind of focus on trying to get you to see content in the context that you're using it. So some interesting integrations as well. Um, nice. And if you're working in an organization that uses a lot of different apps and you're worried about kind of getting buy-in and exposing knowledge bases, the content in your knowledge base to the people who might need it most, I think they'd be interesting. Um, cool. And then I think one of the other ones um, I found interesting that I don't think is maybe as well known is called Guru. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason I guess I would highlight them is that they have this concept of verified information. So it's a lot of kind of somewhat um, auto-generated. We're going to try to capture all the things we possibly can. But um, then there's, as part of their sort of like review process, they have folks who are considered verifiers who can kind of go and be like, yes, this information is oh, date, And they expose it as a little like verified checkbox and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so is it like a form of some sort? Um, I honestly haven't looked too much into the UI. It's just one of the features that I looked at and I was like, I wish we had that. That'd yeah, cool. that's cool. Like, so, cool. Um, and that, you know, I think those tools to me apply more in a space that, you know, maybe we don't overlap as much with, which is like a lot heavier on the collaborative content or maybe like an AI generated content basis, yeah. which um, is typically a higher price point and a thing that we don't do. So I find them really interesting, you know, if you're trying to kind of generate a lot of content quickly or um, trying to recommend a lot of content aggressively without having to set up a lot of stuff manually, I think those are interesting tools that, you know, could be really interesting for folks. Um, awesome. Those are the big ones I can kind of think of off the top of my head.
Thank you, Kate. Mm-hmm. And listeners, as Kate said in the beginning, you know, let's start with those lists of goals, those lists of problems. And if you think that, you know, one of these that Kate just listed could address them, check them out, mess the trial. If it didn't work out for you, no biggie, you know, move on to the next one and you'll find the right product for you. Yes. Kate, this has been so much fun. If listeners want to connect with you, learn more about all the great work you're doing, maybe read the occasional blog post from you, where can people connect with you online? And then also give a few links to um, Knowledge Owl as well that I can include in the show notes. Okay. So um, me personally, most of my blogging is through Knowledge Owl at this point. Nice. So it's maybe yeah. not as exciting. Um, not at all tech, I'm excited. Tech, relating, tech writing related, but um, for the technical writers out there who might have an interest in long distance hiking or through hiking, I blogged <laughs> when I through hiked the Appalachian Trail through the track.co. And cool. um, if, if you're interested in that part of my experience, it's up there. Um, you can follow, I have a public Instagram account that is data geek girl. That's girl is in G R R L, um, which has a lot of my hiking stuff and, and my outdoorsy main things. So if you want a main fix, there's a fair <laughs> amount of cheese, avocados and cats as well. So I'm Thank sorry God. about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um and obviously on LinkedIn, um, I don't ever remember my link offhand, but I can give it to you for the the episode awesome. notes, Jacob. And Sounds good. other than that, I mean, the Knowledge All blog is really where I spend a lot of my time. Or, you know, you can go check out some of the Knowledge Owl public documentation, our support documentation. Yeah. I eat, sleep, breathe, that stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, listeners, in the show notes below the player, I'll include... Links to all the knowledge-based softwares that Kate listed. Um, You can check out some pictures of cheese and cats. I know I'm already intrigued. (laughs) Um, And then as you know, what Kate shared before, if you want to kind of see what a knowledge base would look like if you were to pursue that particular platform. Um, I'll also include the link to Knowledge Owl's um, doc website as well. Awesome. Kate, thank you. This has been so much fun. I appreciate taking some time to chat with me on this Friday. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really yeah. enjoyed this. It was a joy. Enjoy the weekend. Thank we'll you. chat very soon. Yes, you too. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Knowledge Owl, creators of the wonderful knowledge-based software for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Rider podcast. And thanks so much to each of you for listening to this episode. 